Hi, this is Skip Stewart, Vice President and Chief Improvement Officer for Baptist Memorial Healthcare, and this is another episode of Connecting the Dots podcast. Hey, everybody. I'm H.F. Mason. I'm a general surgeon and chief medical officer at Baptist Memorial Hospital, DeSoto. Hi, I'm Jillian Foster. I'm the system pharmacy administrator for Baptist Memorial Healthcare Corporation. Well, today we are so excited that we have the assistant vice president of the American Society of Health System Pharmacists, David Chin. Welcome to the podcast, David. Oh, thank you very much. Thanks for having me today. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself, David, and about your organization? Yeah, thank you very much. Well, ASHP, we're a 60,000 member association that serves pharmacists, pharmacy residents, students, and pharmacy technicians that are primarily in hospitals and health systems. And, and similar to many associations, you know, we support members in education, peer-to-peer learning, advocacy, and practice advancement initiatives and quality improvement efforts um, across the country so that you know, medication use will be optimal, safe, and effective for all people at, at all time. And today's especially fun because Jillian has been a long-term volunteer leader within our association, which uh, helps me do my job on behalf of uh, our peers across the country. Absolutely. Uh, David, once again, thank you very much for being here. And, and Jillian, we're so excited to have you as a guest on our podcast as well. And, and I just have to stop and say how much we appreciate you and, and all your work that that you've always done in your role, but especially during this this pandemic. So, so, David, I guess the ASHP is similar to like the American College of Surgeons that we have it, that represents all surgeons. And, and you said that um, that it's primarily for surgeons, um, excuse me, for pharmacists and pharmacy residents who, who are working in healthcare systems. Um, tell us a little bit about the changing role of the hospital pharmacists throughout the years. I, I've been in practice for 23 years and. Mm-hmm. And I know that, you know, I, I rely on the pharmacist more and more every day. You know, I used to have to I used to have to write my own TPN and now you just write an order for start TPN on the patient. And, and you guys fortunately uh, take on that role. Tell it. Tell us a little bit about that evolving role uh, of a hospital pharmacist. Uh, th- thanks for the question. So you know, maybe I'll start with a little bit, I think everyone realizes, but sometimes I think until you take a pause and look at the, the country as a canvas, you know, uh, there's clearly more than 5,000 hospitals, but about 5,000 acute care facilities across the nation. And as we all know, over the last decade, we've seen all the mergers and acquisitions. And so we've become these much more complex integrated healthcare systems. So, and the reason I preface my comments on that is that, you know, I think the evolving role has really been maybe on two fronts, maybe three fronts, actually. There's been the, the emerging role and growing role as, um, as pharmacists have become more integrated as part of the team sport and taking care of our patients. I think as healthcare has gotten more complex, the drugs have gotten more complex, you know, all providers' time to take care of patients um, needs to be managed in the most efficient manner. You know, having the right person managed in the right part of the patient's care has become critical. And I think, of course, that goes across all segments of, of healthcare. I think the second place we've seen evolution with the pharmacist role is as we've become much more of an ambulatory, um, no, no longer brick and mortar, you know, healthcare industry. And how do pharmacists become those extenders and team partners with physicians and nurses and others as we move into the ambulatory care spaces? 
Um, and then I guess to add to ambulatory, the word ambulatory, even as the boom of specialty pharmacy and community pharmacy has has uh, moved into the country as drugs have gotten more expensive and benefit design has changed. Now, I'll tell you the third role or the third place of evolution is what you explained earlier about Jillian's role for your organization is as through these mergers and acquisitions is how do you create the construct to effectively lead these very complex organizations, you know, that integrate the acute care and all the different ambulatory care services and really the, the role that medication plays on that patient journey. And so I think embedded through all of that is this, um, you mentioned COVID earlier, maybe three, three hats, which might over, oversimplify it, but you know, it's that clinical expertise on how medications are used you know, for, for our patient populations. It's the expertise on managing how medications are, are provided and moved and supported, support the infrastructure of a system and then there's, of course, the, the role of the pharmacist as the sort of the administrator, the executive to help lead and, and provide strategic direction on how, how all that fits together. Yeah, you know, you know, 30, 40, 50 years ago, we didn't have near as many pharmaceuticals. We didn't have near as many diagnoses. And uh, back during that, those times, as a physician, you, we were expected to know all the drugs and we're expected to know all the the drug interactions and all the side effects but but now it, it is just so complex that that we can't as physicians we can't know even a fraction of all those drugs and all those interactions and and, and the, the clinical pharmacist pharmacist in the hospital is such a plays such a critical role that's for sure thank you Hey, and David, you mentioned um, the ambulatory space, and a lot of our listeners may be interested in pharmacist roles in clinics and things. And so here at Baptist, uh, we've had some success with that. We have pharmacist presence in several um, of our clinics and through Dr. Swanson and our medical group support. Um, we've continued to um, pilot those efforts. Um, but the tough part, I was going to go back to Dr. Mason's comment. Um, we're so grateful for our skilled pharmacists out there at Baptist. And I, I think it's true. A, a lot of providers love having a pharmacist on their team and in the hospital. Um, you have to have that to review the drugs, make the drugs, deliver the drugs. It's a little tougher sometimes in the clinic to have that business case. I think the pharmacists are still very valuable and welcomed. But I know David and my colleagues across the country have continued to study how to prove the pharmacist's value sometimes in the ambulatory space and what the business model and the business case looks like for that. And so, David, I just would ask any comments from you from ASHP and what you hear colleagues across the country say about about that that real value add. Mm -hmm. well, um, well, I think definitely the clinical piece is undisputed. Right. I think what you suggested, Jillian, is that there's what's what's the business model? You know, I think, um, you know, with healthcare we need to have the business aspect. But then how do you marry that with outcomes and quality improvement and the patient experience, as well as then also supporting um, the, the interprofessional team so that you're actually having the most efficient model for the patient? So, you know, I think, Dr. Mason, you mentioned going back like 20 years ago, and I always use this as a, as a sort of a tipping point in, in hospitals is back when you think back as far as DRGs, when how we changed our reimbursement model, that then how we measured value changed within health systems. And I think that's really when we saw a boom of clinical pharmacists on the floors, you know, looking at the total cost picture, 
you know, within the walls of the facility. What we're seeing now is that, you know, it's multifaceted in the ambulatory care space. You know, one, you want to have models where you can actually optimize the, the medication management expert, which we like to view ourselves um, as pharmacists and getting that skill set there. But then also now that with these integrated healthcare systems, how do you step back and really look at the total composite of the uh, clinical outcomes, the patient journey, and then also emerging things like value-based purchasing models and it's, in, and it's composite. So it's not just built around the individual billable to be able to cost justify a position, but it's actually more the aggregate of the whole patient experience, patient retention, patient advocacy. You know, when I say patient advocacy, it's a, it's a pretty twisted path to get patients on some of these high cost drugs. And so how do you bring an expert to you know, participate in that? Because if no drug, no, no care, and it affects outcomes at the end of the day. So, so Julian, I think that's a lo little bit of a longer answer that it's really looking at that patient journey and, and what does the, the role of the pharmacist fit across all segments of the healthcare's um, assets being, you know, where the patient's being cared for and being retained. David, what are other things? I, I knew that ambulatory care would be um, a hot topic. What would be other things you would suggest that you're hearing from um, multi-hospital health systems across the country as things they're working on, either from a performance improvement perspective um, or just um, strategic planning? Thank you. Well, I think our pharmacy executives are are all focused. I think on the same thing that our health our healthcare ex health system executives are, and and that's how do you pull the greatest amount of value out of the multi-hospital health system and integrated healthcare organizational structure, right? Now that over the last five or six years, we've seen sort of the mega merger and acquisition phase, how do you optimize that? How do you leverage the strength of the parts so that the health system is strong as possible in its competitive space within its region? Um, and then on top of that, again, com coming back to the patient, how do you leverage all of those pieces to actually help ensure that the patient experience, you know, from the time that they enter the system to the time that they're at home taking care of themselves, that they are associated with their caregivers and that they're associated with, you know, Baptist and all of its parts and pieces. So with that being said, you know, some, some of the, the things that we're seeing are, are um, connected to that. So, for example, a lot of multi-hospital health systems now are really evaluating um, their what I would term as centralized shared services. Right? I think COVID really demonstrated um, how fast we need to pivot when we need to do things like telehealth. And so, you know, clearly when you have an organization where you have different size facilities and you have, you know, uh, resources in different locations, say it's a corporate building, then all of a sudden it can start uh, a rethinking. Uh, you know, we saw some of this in the early days in ICU and a lot of some of the rural states where you had, you know, maybe an academic medical center doing camera based bedside care for critical access hospitals. Right. So it was out, it's, it came out of need. Well, now we saw with COVID that same need percolated and we needed to respond. Now, unfortunately, we're now struggling with for for all professionals. What's the reimbursement to maintain that momentum? But I think that's going to be a major tipping point. Um, and how we do healthcare in America. So, so uh, evaluating the structure of the organization when it comes to pharmacy um, for centralized shared services to support the larger um, identification of shared services across the full enterprise. That that's one area. 
The the second is linked to that as I as I um, foreshadowed is is the role of remote work and virtual work, and how our healthcare for workforce of the future are going to do their work. Um, I think some of it's going to come to patient preference will drive it. Some of it will come from competition. Um, you know, when you see things in the pharmacy space, like Amazon making their announcement, they're coming into the pharmacy space. You know, what does that mean? What does that mean for us as providers? You know, I think it. We all realize that healthcare is local, healthcare is regional, um, and there's a, a human touch that's necessary. And so, how does uh, our health systems um, really enter into the space effectively? Um, I think that's a, a second. I think the third that we're seeing is what we've touched on a little bit ago is really how do we continue to advance the role of the pharmacist as part of the provider direct care team, and really, you know, deciding when and where it's appropriate, um, where the skill sets are necessary. And then, you know, where can you start experimenting to try and get that most, the highest value? And I'll mention, you know, one area, for example, cancer care is a great area where it's, you know, it's, it's high risk patients, it's high cost drugs, it's high touch patient care management, and it's very complex medication therapy management when you look at all their other chronic diseases. And so, you know, how do you look at that as a, a systemization approach? And, and I think the other areas of improvement, I think, um, um, Dr. Mason, you mentioned COVID, is the taking the lessons learned from COVID and how do we embed them in our rituals and our processes, right? Um, you know, well, first off, you know, we need to celebrate all of our healthcare workers across the country. I mean, it's it's been taxing. We all know that. And, you know, things that came out of that pharmacy specific, I would say that, uh, and Dr. Mason, you mentioned this earlier, your experience working with pharmacists, I would say, across, you know, holistically, probably not the level of awareness we would like as pharmacists on the complexities of managing supply chain and how that marries with critical clinical decision making around medications. And so when you look at everything that happened in, in a very magnified manner of supply chain and how to very quickly make some very significant clinical decisions for health systems and each health system is making a different decision on the use of some of these new therapies during COVID, all the way to how do you engage, you know, the, the some of the medical ethics components of how do you identify patients and which patients you care, care for. All those things have been happening within health systems with pharmacists supporting all of that through P&T committees. But I think what really was magnified as, as an opportunity for improvement is to take the lessons learned for the last two years and use it to prepare us for some of the things that are coming down the pipeline, you know, with some of these new uh, high cost drugs and innovations and medication treatments and things as recent that we had in the news, like with the Alzheimer's drugs, you know, how do we handle these things as health systems? Sure. Uh, and, and speaking of COVID, and I'd like to get y'all's thoughts on the, on the process of, taking a drug and going through all the trials and then bringing it to market so that we can, we can treat patients. And, and we found out, you know, we, we had things on warp, warp speed. Uh, you know, we have several drugs out there right now that uh, have EUAs, EUA use. And do you think that we're going to learn that we can speed up that process of taking, taking a therapeutic from, the development phase to the experimental phase to to having it uh, widely available to the public. Do you, you think we're going to see those those time periods shortened 
due to some of the lessons that we've learned and the things that we've learned during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Well, this is gets into a realm that I'm not the expert in. <laughs> um, you know, this but, is just just an opinion. So we're not taking this my, as gospel. My, my my opinion is is that we're going to need to. And, and I think it's going to change if the organizations don't all already have a structure in place, a, a new type of conversation within health systems on the integration of the frontline providers, you know, all, all the whole team, um, understanding patient need in the geographic area so that we're, you're prepared based on patient populations that you know, an organization serves. And, and then... Um, having the infrastructure where it's very fluid between the subject matter experts within an organization, P&T committee, and things like ethics committees. Um, because when you look at some of these very high cost treatments, um, you know, we, we dealt with this a little bit with the hep C vaccine, you know, it, it cured a disease, super high cost. We look at this at the Alzheimer's drug, right? It came out super high cost, questionable evidence for use that was debated. You know, we saw this with the EUAs, right? There was a, a, a varying degrees of comfort with the level of evidence, you know, that was used to put the, the drugs to market because of the pandemic. And I, I think when you look at all of those things in composite um, and the pipeline, when you look at the pipeline of medications and, they, you know, they're becoming, um, well, with the Alzheimer's drug, that was a very large population, you know, for the, the country, but a lot of the drugs are for more narrow patients that um, as people, as organizations have determined their degrees of tolerance for levels of evidence and off-labeled use, that you know, the, 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 the speed to a, that a drug comes to market or even the speed that a drug is used by an institution will need to have a very rapid cycle process associated with it for a number of reasons. One, the care of the patients, but then there's also two, the decisions of the health system itself as, as to what position it wants to have in the market to provide some of these medications. Um, and I think medications are gonna elevate to a level in a way that organizations historically reviewed what service lines they chose to pursue as a competitive, as a competitive position in organization. We'll have similar conversations around medications as well. Yeah, I agree with that, David. And I think our health systems will count on the pharmacy leaders to do that, to continue to be nimble Think about things quickly, as Dr. Mason mentioned, we did that during COVID. Um, you still look at all the information and balance the safety, the cost, the efficacy, and you've you got to move forward. Um, I did want to segue before we run out of time. Um, that, that makes me want to ask the question. You know, it's a, it's a lot riding on those kind of decisions and all those things you mentioned, David. How do pharmacy leaders across the country take all that in and, and try to be um, the most effective? How do you balance all those things and create the most effective pharmacy practice model? So I did want to share with the audience, Dr. Mason and Skip, that ASHP, David's organization, they put out tools for us pharmacy leaders every few years. Um, the one that's out right now called the Practice Advancement Initiative. It's a self-assessment, so it really makes you think about all the areas of pharmacy. It asks you questions to kind of rate yourself. We'll, we've already taken it a little at Baptist. We'll be reviewing it some more. And it tries to give you a roadmap for performance improvement, um, really becoming, you know, top-notch best practice. Um, and it's really some stretch goals. So, David, I just was going to ask you to comment on that or, or mm-hmm. share how those kind of tools get rolled out across the country to help um, health systems like us. Thank you, Jillian. 
Well, first, um, I would add two things to your comment about the Practice Advancement Initiative and for our listeners. Um, this is something that as a profession and, and health system pharmacy, I, I, I think, is somewhat unique in the sense that we're a pretty tight group of, of members and sharers of information. Um, and Jillian is, has been a leader of one of those. Like I mentioned earlier, it's someone that's helped me do my job. She's part of a group that meets every month of multi-hospital pharmacy executives. And so one of the things they talk about are what are solutions, what do solutions look like? You know, what does it look like if you're a five hospital system, 15 hospital system, multi-state system um, and to try to identify some of these solutions? Because I think we all know that when we when peers peers get together, solutions are identified. Um, there's always a little bit of of uh, discussing the struggles. But when you know you're fighting uh, uh, for an important cause, those struggles sort of get lessened and you can go back to work recharged. And then the third is. Um, I would say that is our, we have a pharmacy forecast, which is another tool that organizations can use that really tries to identify some of those things that are around the corner. So, you know, I think Jillian, um, in answer to your question, you know, how do we try to address, you know, some of these innovations, I think was uh, what you were asking, is one, like you said, creating tools that are made from essentially a mind trust of members that we can then share with members across the nation. Uh, they're consensus-based. We have uh, tools that help people think strategically. And then, of course, the major underpinning for ASHP along with that is bringing uh, members together to talk about the different solutions um, so that people are sharing their lessons learned. I'm not sure if I completely answered the question, Jillian. Yes, that's helpful. It's a pharmacy-specific questionnaire. And as I said, it really causes us to um, evaluate our current state, make some specific goals around, you know, where we want to go. And then our teams all across Baptist, and I'm sure all across the country, you know, they, they really develop um, experiments, Skip, to help us kind of get there and um, understand, you know, what our what our barriers are and try to remove those to 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 be better and stronger. And Jamie, I love, when, I mean, David, I love when you said that, uh, you know, Jillian and a these group of really smart pharmacists get together uh, well virtually and, and talk about problems. And, you know, we had a um, we had a guest a few months ago, Jamie Flinchball, and he, he wrote a book called People Solve Problems. And, you know, that's when you get those great minds working together. That's when you can really get a lot of work done. I wanted to ask one question. Um, you know, most people, when they think of a pharmacist, they think of their local pharmacists who may be working at Walgreens or CVS and, you know, tell us a little bit about the, the education and the training of a, uh, of a hospital pharmacist. I, I know back when I was in school for the first two years, we were all in the same classes with the pharmacy students and then they, they went to pharmacy school, but it's, it seems like now that there are even different types of residencies that you can do depending on what type of pharmacist you want to be. Could, could you touch on that just a little bit? Yeah. Well, maybe I'll start, Jillian, and then I'll I'll stop and let you fill in if anything I've missed. Um, so for a pharmacist goes through a, a, what they call a doctor of pharmacy degree program. Um, and like a lot of healthcare professionals throughout that that education process, once they're in pharmacy school, spend you know, a lot of weeks and months, you know, doing rotations at different types of pharmacy sites, right, because our schools need to prepare pharmacists for community pharmacy, for home infusion pharmacy, specialty pharmacy, and, of course, hospital and health system pharmacy. 
um, what's what's really emerged over the last, I'd say, eight years is nine years, is that the vast majority of pharmacists that are newly employed in health systems are residency trained, right? Um, as you guys know, it's a very unique uh, space to work in. Um, you're, you're dealing with everything that a hospital brings you, and now the nimbleness of evolving and with how health systems are evolving themselves, as we mentioned earlier, to the ambulatory care space, specialty pharmacy. And, and within that, there's general residency, which is a one-year additional year of training. And then on top of that, there's well over 15 or 20 what we call PGY2 pharmacy graduate year two residencies that um, adds a second year for people that want to go into different specializations. And it ranges from emergency medicine to critical care to oncology, um, a transplant, and the list goes on. Yep, and then as you said, David, um, depending on the type of job the individual is looking for, um, that um, experience kind of uh, would qualify them for certain things. And um, as you mentioned, having all those experiences available out in um, the educational realm are really important to us at Baptist and other um, complex health systems, because as you all know, uh, we do have home infusion pharmacy, specialty pharmacy, community pharmacy, hospital pharmacists. And so having trained uh, folks out there is key for us because we talk across the continuum. So we, we want to offer pharmacy services to patients all along their journey um, at Baptist. And um, we, we think and hope we've, we've covered all those bases, but we work at it um, constantly to improve those, add services where we might have gaps. So we, we need pharmacists trained in all of those different areas. Um, I thought when I went to pharmacy school, that was the hardest decision was choosing my major. And then I realized, um, look at all the options. There's so many options, you know, in pharmacy. So that's a, it's a great, great profession. Yeah. And I would maybe add one last comment for, for individuals like Jillian and her role. I think it's one of those um, unique roles in, in an organization. And I think they're growing more is where you have a, a, a service line within an institution serving many service lines that, it really requires having someone that has that that is rooted in the patient care education process that also understands the the business and the economics of healthcare because as we all know it's the merging of those two needs to really help you know stabilize and grow what an organization provides through its pharmacy services and to support you know all the different medical line services as well David, let me, uh, as we kind of come near the end of the podcast, let me uh, ask you one more question. I'm going to ask you to kind of step out on the ledge a little bit and kind of see if you can look into the future. But as we sit in here in February of 2022, um, the marketplace is radically changing beneath our feet. There's a national shortage of nurses. There's a national, there's a shortage of even uh, frontline labor. And there's a, there's a war for that labor. Um, and how do you see uh, the future of elements of pharmacy or maybe that impacting pharmacy of how of how we're playing the game of healthcare? Do you have any thoughts uh, about that at all? That's good. That's a big question. <laughs> it's, uh, uh, so let me um, think for a second. I've, I've, I'm drawing. I'm, people that know me know I like to draw circles and pictures as I'm trying to put things into buckets. I actually have a, <clears throat> my boss actually gave me a bucket to put on my desk because that's sort of the term I always use. 
but the well clearly uh, unfortunately you know workforce is a significant issue in all sectors of healthcare right right, right now and across the country actually um, pharmacy does have right now we're dealing with a very unique issue that is really starting to have ramifications but it's one i think also in other technical roles within health systems it's similar which is the role of the pharmacy technician um, you know, I, th I think that um, uh, within the health system itself, because pharmacy is that unique place, right? It's a secured location. There's a lot of activity going on behind a locked door, and people don't always realize what's actually happening with our technicians. And what's unfortunately has happened is it's also affected, you know, where they sit from a salary standpoint. We've done a lot as an association as we've grown the role of the technicians. They need to be certified. There's special training. Most of the boards of pharmacy require them to be registered now. These are all things that we've done because of that role. Um, but when you think of the technicians, the one that prepares the chemotherapy, that is ensuring that medications are pulled properly and transported properly, it's a significant role. So that is something that we're dealing with um, very urgently uh, within pharmacy. Uh, now, and, and what the answer is, we're in process because it's a matter of a number of you know, environmental issues, you know, as minimum wage rose across the country, um, you know, that, that affected things. We have certain regions of the country, what we call the, the other Amazon effect is that, you know, they became a significantly large employer for new, new people. And it was somewhat of a draw um, for some of the uh, healthcare locations. Um, so that that's I'll put that in the category of ongoing work to do, but we're working to to raise the awareness of the complex roles they have and hopefully at least try to affect the wage component. I think when we look at nursing, um, you know, even you know, and physician, you know, shortages. I think as you know, if you kind of look at the the large categories, you know, for pharmacy, you know, I think we we reflect on that and saying, well, where are there opportunities where a pharmacist can actually help and further improve the, the the best delineation of roles so that the the individual that is is working at the top of their skill training and not being distracted by things that someone else that has the skill equally skilled training but a different facet of care can then maybe start to manage i think that's going to be part of the solution downstream um, and so i would say that those to me those are the continued evolution of healthcare, the challenges course is how do you ensure that there's a pipeline behind some of those ideas? So as you're you know, screaming forward for the need of more training and more nurses, um, you know, in areas where we need more physicians, you know, you can't solve one problem with say, hopefully opportunities for pharmacists and technicians, because then you still need to make sure that that funnel is, is still full with the properly trained individuals as well. And so, um, and that's an ongoing effort from ASHP and our peers across the country. It's you know you you guys have pharmacy extenders just like we have have uh, physician extenders and and that that role for the pharmacy extenders is going to keep expanding I'm sure as as the need arises. You know I didn't mean to throw you a curveball there David. You know <laughs> where that question came from was I was watching an old uh, video uh, last night uh, about the NFL and they talked about how like for example the tight end. At one time, the tight end never went out and caught the ball. All they did was block. <laughs> they were to block, and that was kind of their only role. Well, today, you know, a tight end catches the ball, they block, they run the ball, they, they do so many different other elements besides just block. And as this 
market is changing beneath our feet, I think we're going to see that in a lot of different disciplines on how do we pivot and have uh, different facets to what we do. Well, well, David, thank you so, so much for coming on the podcast. You know, on behalf of Baptist Memorial Healthcare, I just want to say thank you. I know that Jillian speaks so highly of you on a regular basis, and we are so incredible, uh, thankful for Jillian's leadership. Uh, but we just want to say thank you for coming on the podcast and just uh, really appreciate everything you're doing. Yeah, thank you very much. Definitely appreciated the invitation. Thank you, David.